everyone, I'm Megan Sullivan and welcome to History and Games, a podcast where I play historical fiction games and talk about the real history hidden inside the game. In today's episode, we're going to talk about something rather edgy, or as they say in Japan, yabai. What am I talking about? Yakuza. Specifically, the Yakuza found in the video game series Yakuza, aka Ryuga Gotaku, Like a Dragon, developed by Ryuga Studios and published by Sega. Yakuza, a strange mix of melodrama and goofy comedy, initially followed the adventures of Kazuma Kiryu, a former Yakuza member with a heart of gold, and now stars Ichiban Kasuga, an earnest and naive mafia grunt attempting to start his life over after being betrayed by his mafia patriarch. By the way, don't worry, there are no spoilers for any of the Yakuza games in this podcast, but I do recommend playing these games for a good time. The popularity of the Yakuza series is mostly due to its entertaining gameplay and story, but its subject matter, the Japanese mafia with their garish outfits and elaborate rules and rituals, also holds a certain fascination for people. But who are the Yakuza? Where did they come from and why do they have such unique traditions? Well, in order to understand that, we have to travel back in time and take a look at the society that produced these unusual gangsters. So let's do that. Actually, before we do, let's review what the Yakuza are. The Yakuza, also known as the Gokdo, the Ultimate Path, or Boryokdan, violent groups as the Japanese media likes to call them, are members of a mafia-like crime organization. They usually deal in gambling, prostitution, protection racketeering, blackmail, extortion, gun smuggling, and even politics. There are over 22 officially recognized Yakuza groups, which in total have around 30,000 gang members. This might sound impressive, but just a little over 10 years ago, they had nearly 87,000 members, and at their height in the 1960s, the Yakuza reached nearly 200,000 members. With stricter anti-gang laws in place and an ever-evolving economy, the Yakuza have struggled to keep up with the times, which isn't surprising given that they're part of an old tradition that stretches back hundreds of years. But for many Yakuza members, it's this long-lasting tradition, plus their symbiotic relationship with the police, that sets them apart from mere street thugs. Believe it or not, some Yakuza even believe themselves to be Robin Hood-esque figures, fighting an unfair and unjust system. That's why they refer to themselves as the Gokdo, those following the, quote, ultimate path. This belief is firmly rooted in ye old Yakuza history. And now that we've defined who the Yakuza are, we can now explore their history and tradition in depth. Now before we go any further, let me clarify that the Yakuza has its roots in two distinct pre-industrial age groups, the Tekia, who started off as wandering merchants, and the Baktol gamblers whose roots stretch back nearly a thousand years. Since most of the Yakuza's history and traditions are tied to the gamblers, the name Yakuza itself comes from a losing hand in a card game, we're going to focus on them in this episode. And in order to understand them, we're going to do a deep dive into the history of gambling in Japan. And I promise you, it's quite interesting. So when you think of gambling, you might think of something that was a prerogative of the boorish lower classes, but actually the earliest references to gambling in Japan go all the way back to the 7th century AD, during the late Asuka period, when betting was all the rage in the imperial court. In fact, according to the author of one of Japan's earliest written records, the Nihonjoki, the Emperor Temu himself loved to gamble. In one chapter, the Emperor, quote, 
took his place in the great hall of audience, summoned the princes and ministers before the hall, and made them gamble. Scholars assume the gambling took place over a game of suguroku, or double sixes, a type of backgammon introduced from China sometime in the 6th century. It was such a popular game to bet on, the word suguroku might even have been used as a synonym for the word gambling. Go was another popular board game people loved to bet on, especially during the Heian period, which lasted from the 8th century until the 12th century AD. And we know this because we have epigraphical evidence. According to the diary of Lady Murasaki, most famously known as the author of the Tale of Genji, quote, the governor of Harima threw a banquet as forfeit for losing a game of Go. By the way, long before Japanese crime syndicates used gambling terminology to describe things, a group of nobles, including Sei Shonagun, a contemporary of Lady Murasaki and author of the Pella book, used Go terminology as code to gossip about other people's relationships. Huh. But board games were not the only things nobles bet on. They loved gambling so much they bet on everything. Cock fights, horse races, dice, archery, cricket fights, poetry contests, and fancy competitions that made use of flowers, pictures, or even folding fans. Seishonagun even made a wager with an empress about whether or not a giant pile of snow would melt before a certain date. She lost a bet, but only because the empress kind of cheated. Then in the 12th century, things began to change. After the warrior class, or buke, began to accumulate wealth and power, they too began to place their bets. Sometime between the late 13th century and the 16th century, samurai introduced a new type of gambling that involved, get this, tea. The reason is because during this period, tea was extremely rare and expensive, and drinking it was considered a luxury. Among the warrior class, tocha, tea fighting, or cha yoriai, tea meetings, became a popular pastime. During these tea gatherings in which people dressed in flamboyant costumes called basara style, samurai would partake in a big meal, drink lots of different kinds of tea, and then bet their valuables by guessing the tea's origins. These valuables, or quote-unquote prizes, included sake, noodles, a fan, shoes, straw matting, and even a chicken coop. Yes, people continued to bet anything on everything. And the betting only got more frantic when the Portuguese showed up on Japanese shores in the 16th century and introduced playing cards. But what about the commoners? Did they gamble at all? Absolutely. In a fictional work by a noble author named Fujiwara no Akihira, a family made up of different social classes included a warrior, a shaman, a courtesan, and a gambler, which is a clear acknowledgement that gamblers from lower classes existed. But it's in an early 12th century work known as a Konjaku Monogatarishu that we first hear of, quote, professional gamblers. One story in the collection tells of a wayward Buddhist monk who, quote, loved to play Go and Suguroku and gather professional gamblers together for his games. These same gamblers are also found in another 12th century work called Ryojin Hisho, compiled by the emperor Go Shirakawa in 1179. A poem in the work reads, my son must be in his 20s now. I hear he's a wandering gambler in a provincial gambling gang. Well, he's mine. I can't hate him. Gods of Sumiyoshi and Nishinomiya, I beg you, don't let him lose the game. The words professional gamblers gives us our first glimpse at the misty beginnings of the bakto, the gambling half of the future Yakuza. In short, I think it's safe to say every class loved to gamble, but not everyone was happy about it. 
The first known anti-gambling law goes back to the time of Emperor Tenmu, whose successor, Empress Jito, actually tried to ban the game Sugoroku. According to the author of the Nihongi, quote, On the twelfth month of the eighth day, the game of Sugoroku was prohibited. Unfortunately, the prohibition didn't work, and so the Empress's successor created even stricter gambling laws that not only punished gamblers, but anyone closely associated with them. This crackdown even extended to priests and monks. In the Yodo Code, a set of laws from the mid-8th century, Article 9 states, quote, Monks and nuns shall not play games of chance under the penalty of 100 days of hard labor, but this does not include playing the game of Go. This law didn't take either. According to the 11th century diary of a court noble named Hujiwara no Sonosuke, a street brawl broke out between priest gamblers in the western part of Kyoto. Perhaps it was over the one game not outlawed by the Yoro Code, Go. Either way, priests continued to bet on things, and so did everybody else. But by the Kamakura era, things were starting to get out of control. It's recorded that a young man actually found himself disinherited by his family because of his, quote, love of gambling. Fun fact, that man then attempted to challenge his disinheritance using a forged document, but then got caught in the act. Oops. Meanwhile, violent gambling gangs were starting to emerge. According to an article in the Japan Times, during the Kamakura era, historical accounts gave details of brawls, killings, and robberies involving gamblers, which led to increasingly strict measures to repress their activities. Between 1225 and 1284, the authorities issued no fewer than nine edicts prohibiting gambling. It's not entirely clear what caused this rise in gambling-related violence, but it may be rooted in the era's rapidly changing economic structure, when copper cash from China was introduced into the economy. With literal money to throw around, everyone was placing a bet, from rich landowners to the emerging middle class, who were expanding rapidly thanks to new farming techniques and trade with China. But the newly formed gambling gangs and the violence that came with them were not a welcome addition, and anyone who opposed or caused trouble for the Kamakura government, including gamblers, were branded as akto, the evil ones. In order to discourage these so-called evil criminals, the government reintroduced an old form of punishment. Found in the Joei Code of 1232, the government proclaimed that those who break the law would be punished by getting a tattoo on their face. This punishment was known as izuremi, a derogatory word for tattooing that's still around today. FYI, because of this negative connotation, modern Japanese tattoo artists prefer the word horimono, which I'll talk about more in my next Yakuza episode. Branding criminals with tattoos had actually been practiced centuries before, during the mid-Kofun period around the 5th century AD, but it fell out of use less than 200 years later. The Kamakura government now reintroduced it into the criminal code, although over the centuries it would be modified so that you'd be marked on your arm instead of your face. But what people were marked with depended on where they were from. For example, if you were from Hiroshima and committed three crimes in a row, you would be marked with the Chinese character for dog, one character stroke for each crime. If you were from Hizen, which is now Nagasaki, you were marked with an X or a cross, which meant bad. Ironically, these tattoos made it almost impossible to get an honest job, and thus some criminals decided it was just easier to use their tattoos to intimidate people into getting what they wanted rather than reform. Thus in the end, tattoos weren't a very effective punishment, and as we'll see later, they became a proud advertisement for gang members. But you can see the nascent beginnings of a very common Yakuza tradition, tattooing. 
Punishment for commoners was pretty harsh, but the nobles continued to get a slap on the wrist. For example, in the 14th century, the government came up with yet another set of laws called the Kemu Shikimoku, which specifically called out the samurai's, quote, tea gatherings as being an excuse to participate in illegal gambling. Later, Portuguese cards, too, would be outlawed, but card games were so popular that cards were simply modified to get around gambling laws. People were that determined to gamble even during the turbulent period of Ashikaga rule starting in the 13th century, when the Ashikaga shogunate in Kyoto began to lose power to local samurai warlords known as daimyo, who in turn began fighting amongst themselves. The fighting got so bad that eventually the country was plunged into a bloody civil war. It wasn't until the late 16th century when a succession of powerful and ruthless warlords, Nobunaga Oda, Hideyoshi Toyoshi, and Tokugawa Yasu, successfully used a mix of brute force, persuasion, and ruthless tactics to finally unite the country and put an end to the war that things returned to normal. But they were no longer familiar, because the war had changed people, in some cases for the worst. As the civil war was winding down and daimyo lords were being picked off one by one, a wave of masterless samurai, or ronin, ronin means wave, began to aimlessly wander the countryside. Some hired themselves out as bodyguards or joined another warlord's army, but many formed into bands of swaggering youth gangs known as the kabukimono, or the crazy ones. The word kabuki, from the verb kabuku, to behave oddly, may refer back to the deliberately outlandish style of dress and manner samurai affected during the tocha or tea gatherings I mentioned earlier, which were sometimes called cha kabuki. But the kabukimono didn't just dress in outlandish outfits, usually a mix of traditional clothes, women's clothes, and western clothes. They also liked to sport strange hairstyles, use slang, give themselves outrageous gang names like the All Gods Gang, and carry oversized swords. In other words, they certainly knew how to draw attention to themselves. In fact, an actress and entertainer named Izumo no Okuni may have been so impressed by these swaggering muse she began to incorporate their dress and manners into her play. Thus, Japan's world-famous kabuki theater was born. The kabukimono were certainly fascinating, but they were not kind. They often bullied and harassed people they deemed inferior to them, and literally cut down citizens in order to test the edge of their oversized swords, a practice known as tsujigiri. It's no wonder then that people refer to them as the crazy ones. But though others called them the kabukimono, they referred to themselves as the hatamoto yakko, or the bannermen of the shogun, as if to convince people their bad behavior was justified by their connection to the shogunate. But the Tokugawa shogunate was irritated by these quarrelsome youths, and they weren't the only ones. In fact, it was the kabukimono who triggered the rise of the machiyako, or townsmen, a rough-and-tumble group of men consisting of masterless samurai, gruff day laborers who doubled as local firemen, various merchants, fishermen, and farmers who had fallen on hard times, and of course, professional gamblers. Usually armed with farming tools and sometimes sort shorts called wakizashi, these local toughs, who banded together to act as a quasi-police force, did not appreciate a bunch of upstart ronin trying to intimidate them, and so constant fights broke out between the machiyako and the hatamotoyako. The fighting got so intense that by the late 17th century, the shogunate cracked down on both sides for starting trouble. That was the end of the short-lived Hatamoto Yakko. By the way, you might be forgiven for thinking the modern-day Yakuza came from this group, 
After all, you can see parallels between them and the modern-day Yakuza. Flashy clothes and hair, a rough manner, and a taste for weapons and living outside the law. But most scholars believe the Yakuza's real origins start with the Machi Yako, that rough-and-tumble group of gamblers and day workers who, despite being officially disbanded in the 17th century, evolved into something stronger, more organized, and much more deadly. But we'll save that story for the next episode. And that's it for this episode of History and Games. Questions, comments, suggestions? Let me know by emailing me at history at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter at M-E-G-H-A-N underscore I-G-N or follow me on Instagram at Celtic underscore Queen underscore Meg. And if you have a dime to spare, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash M-E-G-H-A-N R Sullivan. Thanks so much, guys. See you later. Matane.